Hello and welcome to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. I'm Martha Sutsui Billens, and today's episode is with Azeb Amha. Dr. Azeb Amha from the University of Leiden is a linguist with interest in the morphology and syntax of Afro-Asiatic languages, linguistic typology, and the interdisciplinary fields of anthropological linguistics and sociolinguistics. She has worked extensively on the documentation of languages in Ethiopia, including Oida, Wolaita, and Zargula. She is an ELDP grant recipient and a depositor with Dobas and the Endangered Languages Archive. This interview was such a treat for me to record with Azeb. She's someone who I've been wanting to have on the pod for quite a while, and I just knew that she would give such such insightful perspective on what it's like to work within her own community, with her mother tongues, as well as um, her experience working in other communities. One of the really interesting things um, I love about doing this podcast is getting to talk to so many different people who have such a range of experience doing fieldwork. And Azeb has worked on several languages, so she's done a ton of field work. And I think her enthusiasm and her passion for her work really shines through in this interview. And also, I wanted to mention if you haven't joined the Field Notes Patreon, uh, Azeb also has a bonus episode for this month, uh, November 2021, and that will be available to patrons at the $5 per month and above tier, and I'll link that in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking time to come on to Field Notes. I really appreciate it, and I'm so excited to hear about your work and your experience. Um, to start, can you introduce yourself very briefly, like where, you're, where you are in the world and uh, your name and where you work? Thank you very much, Marty, for having me for this interview. I also appreciate it a lot. Um, my name is Azeb, Azeb Ammaha. I am currently based at the African Studies Center in Leiden, at Leiden University. That is an interfaculty institute at Leiden University. Um, and I'm doing their research and uh, teaching. Uh, in linguistics and uh, issues related to language, for example, language and power in Africa uh, and language and uh, society and some issues in anthropological linguistics. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you. I'm so excited to learn more about that. Can you share with us how you first became interested in linguistics and languages? Yes, yes, that was um, partly uh, coincidence. It may be partly something that was in me for quite some time. You know, when I joined university in, at Addis Ababa University, uh, that was a long time ago, uh, there was in the university system, in the, the first year is called a freshman program, and we get general courses. Uh, we do not get to know 
what kind of uh, study programs, uh, disciplines you can expect at university when we finish high school. There wasn't that much orientation about what to expect. Uh, And once we are at university, it is around the end of the first semester that we get orientation about uh, the programs that are there. At that time, there was no internet and you you don't see much. Um, information beforehand. So when I joined university, you know, it's via people who were from the same high school as uh, me who joined the university a year or two before, and I could not um, find out what kind of uh, study programs they joined. And often those are um, disciplines uh, like law, like history, uh, and so on, and not much about language and so on, the, uh, the linguistics. That wasn't um, something I knew much about. But uh, once in the program, uh, I met um, a friend of my sister. My sister graduated in the year I joined university, and um, one of her friends uh, was a four-year linguistics, linguistics student. So my with this girl, you know, like uh, she's now my older sister, we met often, and she told me a lot about the kind of courses she was doing, uh, research uh, term papers she wrote, and she was at that time writing her thesis as well. So we talked a lot about that, and I found it really very interesting. Later, the university also gave orientation about the various departments we could choose from, but at that point, I had a lot of information about linguistics. I was uh, interested. Uh, originally, my major interest was in something like law or history, but finally, I joined uh, linguistics. And uh, that's one, one of the things. But the other thing is that, you know, as a multicultural, uh, multilingual society, language is all over you know, in our daily lives, even when I was in high school in the neighborhood where, where I grew up, a number of languages were spoken. So we talked about languages, how people say the same thing in different languages, how people speak a, specific, a certain language. For example, Amharic is a national language spoken differently by people di- from different linguistic backgrounds. So that kind of uh, interference from one's own language was a kind of thing we knew about, we joked about. So, you know, it was easy to make that connection with linguistics. Yeah, that's really interesting. So in the community where you grew up, there's a lot of language contact, like different people from different languages all interacting together, or is there like one language that's bigger than the rest? Yeah, Um, where I grew up is in southern Ethiopia, uh, where uh, Walaita, the area is called, you know, the town is called Sodo, a middle-sized town, Mm -hmm. city, I don't know by now. And there were really lots of people. I, I was just thinking uh, for another interview some, uh, some time back. And there were, we had neighbors, you know, opposite my house, next to my house, people who spoke different languages. I myself had friends from um, families who, uh, whose first language is uh, Oromo, Tigrinya, Gurage. You know, these are all different languages. And in the area itself, Olaita is a major language. The majority mm-hmm. of people spoke Olaita. 
uh, but in at school, in the church, and so on, it is it was Amharic uh, for us. Within my family, I had family members who spoke uh, mainly Walaita. There are family members who spoke mainly Amharic. So I grew up bilingual, speaking these languages. And when uh, outside of home, depending on the person I was playing with, or even uh, when I was a bit bigger in high school and so on, depending on the friendship I have, I would I can switch between Amharic and Walaita. But the same my friends would do. They might switch between Grage and uh, Amharic or between Tigrinya and Amharic, depending on whom people spoke. So there were a lot of, of a number of languages spoken in the area. So I think, yeah, that was a linguistic situation. It was very interesting, highly mixed. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and are is like Amharic and all the other languages, are they all Omotic languages or are they from different language families? They are from different. Amharic is from uh, the Semitic uh, branch, Ethiosemitic language, and Walaita is from Omotic. Um, and the other languages I mentioned, for example, uh, Oromo, we had neighbors whose first language was Oromo, the actually different varieties of Oromo, Wurji Oromo and Shoa Oromo we had. And Oromo is a Cushitic language. Um, there were Grage speakers, and that's also Semitic, like uh, Amharic, Tigrinya speakers, also from the Semitic branch of Afroasiatic. So these are um, not from the same language family. Uh, and the Omotic language I had initial contact is uh, Olaita. Wow, that's so interesting. That's really cool. So... I would love to hear more about your main research interests. So what are you working on right now? You mentioned briefly that you're doing um, ling- is it language empowerment. The major uh, work I'm doing now is uh, a documentation project. I have a project with uh, ELDP uh, to document uh, an omotic language uh, that's called Zargula. Uh, and um, I did uh, field work, uh, collected lots of materials. Maybe we can talk more about that later. And I am yeah. doing now annotation, archiving, you know, the system, how it works. So transcribing yeah. <laughs> the audio and video recordings yeah. and annotating and, uh, uh, you know, archiving in LR uh, so, so that the linguistic and the speech community uh, can make use of it. That is uh, what I mainly do. Uh, next to that, I have a few things, uh, writing projects on various uh, topics I'm working on, on grammar issues, but also on uh, specific cultural linguistic items based on this, based on this data on Zargula, but also other languages I have done uh, research on earlier. Uh, for example, I did uh, language documentation of Oida. Uh, Oida is also an anomotic language. It was uh, an endangered language. Uh, I did a documentation work together with colleagues from uh, Germany uh, some time ago, and that is archived at Dobes. And based on that, I have done recently some anthropological linguistic kind of item on a special interesting aspect of the language. I uh, did some publication re- recently. 
So it is that kind of thing. And the language and power issue I mentioned to you earlier, uh, that's related to a course um, to students of um, African studies, research master African studies uh, program is being given in my department. And within that, we have um, a multidisciplinary course in which various disciplines try to explain in a kind of a reflective way how their own, you know, scholars would discuss how their own discipline has affected um, understanding Africa. You know, from the anthropological oh, wow. perspective, historians, uh, linguists, um, um, uh, demographers. So we are a number of colleagues within that course who give specific aspects of uh, our discipline to show how various disciplines shape understanding society in various places, in this case, specifically in the African continent. And within that program, I chose to discuss about, you know, multilingualism, how it arises, how, it, how it's maintained, and how it is sometimes uh, endangered or is threatened, uh, thereby people are losing diversity and what that means, you know. Uh, like, for example, in multilingual societies, there is, a ch there is choice of languages to use in administration or education, thereby sidelining other languages, one or a few languages may be used and the rest might be sidelined. And in that case, what mm -hmm. that means to the speakers of those languages that are not used in that kind of educational administrative uh, function. Would it lead to inequality? Does it contribute to marginalization of certain groups in society or not? And we look at examples from various linguistic areas in Africa, and we talk about, you know, the connection, also globalization. Uh, so we want to main, maintain that connection at the same time, also maintain diversity and how that balance can be kept. So that's a general discussion within this course that I uh, look at. That's really interesting. Does does the course, is this the first time you've taught the course or is it an ongoing course? Oh, no, it has been ongoing. Uh, actually, we started 2004, we started a course, but, you know, it evolved to this type of topic. I talk initially, you know, more like historical linguistics What and what it meant to various disciplines on uh, social studies or in the humanities and so on. And then we focused at various times on different aspects of language and society. But at this point, um, I'm looking at, you know, language, discourse and um, inequality mm -hmm. in relation to, you know, this power aspect I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, that is so interesting. I'm just, um, the reason I asked if it was the first time you taught the course, because like over the years, as as you've taught the class and it's evolved, have you seen any like common recommendations come out from from the students or the instructors about like what we can do to work on this inequality or like how language policy affects marginalization of speakers of smaller languages? This is really something that's close to me, and I appreciate it that you ask. Um, you know, the course is for um, kind of awareness, uh, kind of introduction, you know, that, you know, often when we talk of African studies, 
um, it is mainly African economy or African demography. It can be conflict and so on. But uh, linguistics for non-linguistic students is, is not really an issue. Whereas um, my understanding is that this is really central to their own fieldwork. Uh, you know, for the students, this course is called um, Reflexivities and Methodologies and Interdisciplinary Methodologies. And in there, you know, every student who goes to Africa to do fieldwork, be it history, be it um, politics, economy, they will be confronted with language, multilingualism, the way you they select consultants with whom can I speak? Where is what language spoken? And what does that mean? Which one is, for example, uh, the national language? Which one is um, uh, language of media or administration? And that realization beforehand can affect or can have impact on the kind of research that they do. Uh, what happens is that most students that are not from linguistic background and so on, they know there is diversity, they know there is a multilingualism, but there is this attitude like, you know, I speak a global language like English or French, I can go to Africa mm -hmm. and have any consultants that I want. I can do my research for six months or longer without any concern about language, but that is not the case um, in practice when you are doing research, say, in a rural area, you have, one has to consider how can I communicate uh, with the people? Because often the kind of research is uh, research master African studies students doing are uh, very sensitive issues, uh, sometimes personal issues. It can be about trauma. It can be about health. It can be... And in those kinds of contexts, one has to really think about which language is used in the area? How can I directly communicate with my consultants? You know, they should, they cannot expect that everywhere uh, English is spoken in Africa. That is a false assumption, but that assumption is there. And I want to make some aware that there is a lot of diversity, linguistic diversity. And in many parts of Africa, even where English is the official language, the majority of the society do not speak English. So to reach those mm. people, one may need to use a translator or something. But when one uses translators, there are other things that come into your methodology. Your research gets affected because there are different uh, reflexivities one has to consider about the attitude of the translator. That all plays a role in the kind of the quality of data a social scientist gathers. So language truly plays a major role uh, in every aspect of scientific work we do. So people need to be students. We try to make them aware that there is this issue and, you know, we, you know, there are different aspects of that. I can talk about that a long time. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, no, it's really interesting. It is very interesting. And I find, you know, students often are very much interested. Uh, they get uh, very interesting literature already existing, uh, which they read about, and they are highly engaged. And back from fieldwork also, they really link, uh, uh, you know, their fieldwork experience into language. And that is interesting. 
It also makes me think that it's an issue about amplification to like whose stories get to be told, right? Like if you're not a speaker of French or English and researchers are only working with speakers of French or English or other, you know, major languages, then people who don't speak those languages, like they never get to share their their experiences. Exactly. Yeah, that is, you know, it is about um whose voice are you representing? I'm involved mm-hmm. in a methodology course also later in the year and and there also this issue of language about representation, whose voice gets heard. If you only want to talk to the elite, yes, um, that might work. But if you want to reach to people's uh, life, which is often uh, the interest of most students, to really uh, experience what's on the ground. And they, as I mentioned earlier, they talk, they do research on all aspects of society. And it's not only in the urban or in the capital city that they do research, they go to various places. So it is very relevant and very interesting. And as you said, if only certain people are heard by doing that, as scientists, we intensify more the inequalities that's already there by denying voice to certain people who may not speak those, um, say, national languages or global languages like French and English. So it's very important to be conscious of this and do things differently where it's possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that you grew up bilingual. And I know that the issue of like, what is your mother tongue is so fraught and like so complicated. But I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about your experience as an insider linguist, as a native speaker. I know you've done lots of work with different different languages, but um, can you speak to your own experience of working with a language that you speak? Yes. Um, yeah, this... Um uh, insider, outsider linguist is very interesting. In my case, you know, I'm insider in at two different levels. <laughs> One, um, as someone who is uh, born and brought up in Ethiopia and doing research on um, languages that are not uh, my mother tongue. Uh, so as um, you know, I speak Amharic and Wolaita as uh, my mother tongue, my first languages. Uh, these are, I do research on Olaita. I did a number of publications. So I consult people. Uh, you know, I can use introspection as a kind of uh, methodology to do research, but I also interview people. And sometimes uh, the people I interview are my family. For example, I have uh, lots of interviews with my mom, uh, my aunties and uncles. That's a different kind of insider than when I do research, for example, in Zargulla. I'm insider by mm. being Ethiopian, speaking Amharic, which um, a number of my consultants also speak. Uh, there is a certain form of um, being insider, but that is different from being an insider in Wolaita. And both uh, of these have um, implications that, that there are different results of these. For example, when I do research with my family or people I know in Walaita area, uh, it's much easier to identify consultants, uh, to decide on topics I want to discuss. And I'm somehow confirming 
or verifying data I already have in my mind. I thought about it and so on. So the kind of work I do is very different. And it is much different from someone who comes from Europe or um, like my colleague from Japan who wrote on Olaita. There is there is a difference. They have to first learn the language and find a way to get deep into things. But for me, it was easier. But there is also an emotional side to it. For example, I might be more attached to the recordings uh, data I annotated with my mother than uh, I did elsewhere. So there is um, that kind of insider aspect to it, which can have. Uh, various emotional aspects, but there is also as insider in the sense of my my own language, the way society or the people, my consultants or the speakers engage with it are different. Uh, They might be more critical about my work or sometimes they give me a kind of responsibility. Ah, you don't need to bring out this kind of thing about our culture or our language. I remember first when I did research on Idiophones on Olaita. I just came to that to that research actually by chance. I was looking to into uh, the phonology. I was examining reduplication patterns, and at that point, the term idiophone was also not widely known. <laughs> we call them onomatopoeia. Uh, and I knew that was relating to onomatopoeia, and I re- I recognized some of them to be that. But when I made the list, you know, f- using introspection method, I came up with a long list of reduplicated words. And then I I went to check with my mom about these things, and then she listened to to me and looked at me and says, "What you know all these words? You know these are insults. Why do you discuss it? Do you discuss this in oh. public?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> who taught you this kind of thing i mean she really loves languages often she's one of my uh, best friends you know when i come back from field work starting from my ba studies she would say you know what did you do with these people how do they speak can i hear she listens to my recordings and so on and uh, she even accompanied me to field work at one point <laughs> But in this case, in their own language, she, she thought, oh, these, these are not nice words. You know, do you discuss this with outsiders? <laughs> <laughs> so there is that, that, that aspect to it um, as, is that I experience it as a different kind of being insider. And with the other languages, I, I think be, knowing that I'm from Ethiopia, so I speak Amharic, Fieldworks I did in Mali, Oidas, Argula, these are different omotic languages. So I think I could make the link very quickly compared to, say, someone who goes from Europe or America. And the, that link also has a more durative aspect to it. You know, after, you know, it's not something that is finished when the project is finished. Like you mm. keep in good or bad, that friendship, that working relation continues in that sense. I don't know if I answered mm-hmm. your <laughs> questions about insider. Yeah, no, that's really, that's so funny about your mom. She, she was like, I, I'd never really thought of that, but it, it, it seems so obvious that like words would have more of a, like language would be more culturally loaded for yeah. 
the speakers than they are for the researchers. Yes, and when you read them out, you know, one after the other in a in sequence. <laughs> yeah, that was her, her impression, yeah. Yeah, was she, did she... Was she okay with it after you like explained why? Yeah, you yeah, to yeah, yeah. Actually, she gave me lots of more words and um, examples, <laughs> and we really had fun talking about you know like these are terminology like about walking, uh, different types of you know walking people who walk fast uh, when they are uh, stout or thin or things like that, and then she would call, "Oh, that sounds like so and so," you know. <laughs> Talk of people, <laughs> and we laugh uh, a lot. Yeah, she loves it. She she really likes it. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's really nice that you can share this with her. Can we talk about how we can involve more community linguists and get more community members involved in language documentation and language research? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, yes. I think this is um, a very important issue. It's um, essential to for um especially at this time and age to really work closely with um community uh first of all because this asymmetric relation between a researcher and uh researched have changed you know people when we are doing res- uh, research we d- just do not go to a place and say you know we want this information from you obtain it in some way and walk away but we have to we have now a kind of ethical moral consideration to make about what does that research mean to the people we we research whatever linguistic form it can be a grammatical research research on a grammatical topic it can be on a comparative thing or language documentation as we do but i think we are now uh, more and more accountable to uh society uh, when we do research and that accountability doesn't shouldn't stop uh by just explaining what the research is about and how useful it is for science or for society but make um engage people really in the, you know in the work itself make them feel what uh it means you know but if it is something especially when it's about language documentation uh, about culture and so on we as researchers should participate in the cultural or the linguistic activities they are doing and you know learn by doing things together by working together uh, with them and they also learn more about our work as well as about their own language and culture by collaborating with us so it creates reflex reflexivity in both on both sides recognition of things. So we need to do that. We need to engage people more. And in my experience, uh, I have had experience at different levels, you know, engaging people just as interviewees, but also more and more as I uh, I got experience in doing fieldwork, especially the kind of fieldwork one does for documentation, engaging community is uh, really more important. I have realized that. And these days, like my con- assistants, I have, we can look at it, you know, by dividing, you know, you cannot work with the whole community. You know, it's not a homogeneous group when you go to a research area. 
uh, there are different types of people and you cannot work with the whole people. You know, the entire community may not engage and you have a way to select people. But once that selection and that friendship is established, there should be trust uh, and sharing of responsibility in uh, you know, obtaining the information, in collecting the data, in the analysis. So I try to engage my assistants in this case in the ELDP project on Zargula. I especially have had really a good experience working with consultants that could collect data for me. They, I'm, we do the annotation together, including things like on Pratt, for example, you know, analyzing, chunking the data, uh, doing annotation, transcription. They participate in that. And this has really helped me because as researchers, we have only a limited stay at the field site. And when we are there, things may not be conducive to do exactly what we want to do. If you consider my example, uh, my uh, project on Dar Zargula is to document their language based on the salient aspect of their culture, that their day-to-day -day activity. These are a farming society. So I wanted to study their language by studying, by looking into, by recording, documenting, asking questions about how they do their farming activity. Observe it when they are doing it them tell you know about about their farming activity in a historical perspective or in terms of a concrete plan to do next or what is ongoing so the impact of each of these kind of questions i raise you realize uh, what it means for the grammar so when trying to do that um, for example i went in 2017 as for first field work for documentation I decided on the time in consultation with the people. They, this is the best time to come if you want to see how we do farming and so on. But by chance, when I arrived there, uh, the rains were late. So there was drought and there was no farming activity at that point. People were, they have prepared their, the land, but they could not sow or whatever. So uh, it became more like, you know, narratives and things they, they told from their mind, like in earlier linguistic research and non-documentary linguistic research, like narrative text and so on. And then in, next, in the next year, when um, I discussed with them and I thought I found a better time, uh, I, I planned and I come in that year, in 2018, the rains were, came too early and they were too much. So there was flooding. I couldn't move around uh, and you cannot do recording and uh, work like that in that kind of situation. So at that point, I realized, look, I cannot be around all the time. I cannot choose the best time uh, to do recording. I'm here every time, three months, four months. And when I come back say, uh, in my own institute in the Netherlands, I'm staying long. So I might miss something. So I decided to work better with my consultants and train one of the consultants a little I know about recording and keeping data. So I left uh, recording equipment with him. And before my departure, we had recording sessions. Initially, the things he recorded were not good. But later, I realized he was really gifted. Uh, he was also very good, you know, in moving in various terrains. You know, the, it's a mountainous area. 
he could move easily from place to place and do recording uh, of various sorts. What they um, and and that that gave me really the chance. Now I have much more richer data about literally every kind of product that they produce, how they produce, you know, everything like that. So that I wouldn't have done if I did the recording, the collection of data just on my own. So community participation for me meant like, you know, in collecting data also, my consultants, I left uh, the materialism and they did collect varied and very quality information, which they themselves found interesting and useful. So I, f- I feel happy with that. And um, next to that, in the times I'm there, we work together, you know, from on different levels of annotation we do together and they are directly participating in that and that that makes me very happy and I think that is a useful strategy for oneself as a researcher and also for the community so that kind of engagement must come another thing I realize in this uh, time especially why it is so important to really empower people and make them do part of the work is that uh, we saw how COVID struck unexpectedly. We are all, you know, back home. We cannot travel for field work and so on. Things do not get stuck if people work, uh, collaborate with consultants and using them not only as consultants, but as kind of co-creators of knowledge, co-researchers. We should do that. And I think institutions and researchers, everybody needs to collaborate on this and, you know, make use of this this possibility to, to collaborate. So it's very, very important, I think, for us as linguists, but in general in uh, humanities and social science research, a community engagement is essential. It, it provides more diverse and useful data. It allows for continuity. And, and I think also in the future, if the people have taken part in really collecting the data, they also cherish it more. Uh, they find it more important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Azab, thank you so much again for your time. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about your work? I have a personal page with, uh, within the CIS website. And there is a, a staff right. profile in which um, I, my publications and ongoing projects are listed. Perfect. And I'll link that in the show notes. And then especially, especially if one is interested to look into the kind of documentation work I do, the LR site uh, on the Argula project mm-hmm. shows uh, information that I have collected issues, uh, the recordings that are annotated. It's an ongoing work, but uh, that's uh, one uh, website I'm very proud of, LR, ELDP. Then I have also a website in, uh, within the Dovas program on OIDA. It's also uh, a documentation project, which is uh, interesting. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>
You've been listening to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. This podcast is hosted and produced by Martha Satsui Billens with production help from Laura Satsui. Our music is by Lobo Loco, and our logo is by Eville Designs. If you have a question or fieldwork experience to share, you can email us at fieldnotespod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lingfieldnotes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an Apple podcast review. Thanks for listening.